parents begin to think that sleep is a problem and it's never, it's never a problem. It's just that we don't understand where our babies are at. We're wanting them to meet us in our environment, but we got to go to them. You need to know that your baby is just reacting in a normal nervous system and it's your choice to fight it that's causing you to be exhausted. There's nothing wrong with your baby. There's no product that's going to solve the problem. You really have to decide, right? am I going to seriously take a left turn off track away from how nature does it? I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. I'm Carrie. And I'm Jenny. And we are the moms and OTs from On Track Baby. And we are here today to talk everything about baby development, baby sleep, and new mom life that plays into, you know, your whole experience with your child. So we're excited to be back. Yes. With the the Down down to Birth birth show (laughs) for the second time. Totally. Welcome back, you guys. We had a very popular first episode with you. Cynthia, do you remember the number? Come on. I don't. I, I I recently saw it too. So this pressure is just terrible. <laughs> as soon as I see this number, I'm going to be like, yes, that was it. I'll look it up. Okay. So anyway. Proud to hear that because really right. the whole thing about baby development begins at birth and your pregnant pregnancy experience and your mental preparation, which is why, you know, it's not enough. It, it, it fills my heart with joy. And I know it's part of our mission right. that people get educated, not just about baby development, but also birth and what, how that is impactful for yourself as a mother and as a baby. So we love to hear this connection that people are listening and getting the information ahead of their baby coming with, you know, the down to birth show and then following it through to continuing the journey, which is really what motherhood is. It's like, you think you're just going to bring your baby and like, you know, shuffle them into your you know adult life. But it's like, truly a, the most transformative thing you'll ever do. You guys said something so important in, in that first episode we did with you that I tell to every new breastfeeding mother that I am working with when they're all very concerned about their infant development and tummy time and da 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 da. And I always say what you said, just everywhere you go, you bring that small little blanket and you put it on the floor and you don't need anything else. And your baby goes on their tummy yeah. and that's it. They're either on you or they're on that blanket and yeah. no development happens on the back. Right. Yeah. Well, it was episode 152 that we had you. And I agree with what you're saying, Jenny, because once, even when, even when we started this podcast, there is so, there's such a world of informed pregnancy and informed birth out there. But what I failed to see even as recently as a few years ago, was that once you're informed, I mean, it's true as a parent, but you don't realize these industries are out there. Once you are an informed parent in mothering and birth, it takes you into the early parenting years. You're now for some reason we assume, well, now I'm like every other parent and I'm going to do things like everyone else. But once you're on this path of like really debunking myths 
and learning what's best for babies. It's like you're suddenly doing everything different from the mainstream. And that's where I think you two come in from birth, including birth into those early parenting years, which is why I think your, your work is so valuable because a lot of people don't realize that there is still so much poor advice taking us into those early years that isn't serving parents and children very well. And one of the one of the most important pieces of poor advice that mothers are constantly being bombarded with is that their babies should be sleeping separately from them or that it's not safe for their babies to sleep with them. And we really want to talk about your opinion, experience, knowledge, whatever you want to say about mothers and babies sleeping together. It, yeah. And it, and I would say it was definitely been a journey because we didn't just start out being like, okay, let's bring our babies into our beds. With no, us. we were as mainstream as it gets. Yes. We, and, we, and probably even a level beyond because we're in allopathic care as occupational therapists. Like, yeah. We had the in-depth look at how we're supposed to be instructing parents, even before we were parents. Right. And that message that comes from just don't do this. Don't do that. You're going to cause these types of things to happen. Like, um, and, and that what is what unraveled for us trying to do the mainstream message, uh, that brought us full circle around to, you know, what we do now, family bed. (laughs) Well, let's stop and have you talk about your credentials before we go any further. You made that reference to having an allopathic educational background. So let's tell everyone exactly what your credentials are and what you do. Well, we are both, we are both occupational therapists and, um, we have our own private practice actually currently right now where we, where we serve children, um, zero to five and we offer PT speech and OT. And then we've also been doing online education for the OT community and we are pretty much specialized in pediatrics. So, and and even beyond that, like we wrote developmental care for our Mm -hmm. local hospital for their NICU and Mm -hmm. It, that really, it's then the levels of learning that we've done that brings this different awareness to what is happening with mainstream advice that's taking people off track. But as far as credentials go, the therapy side of things has been a really unique thing for parents to understand um, the way we view this lens of your baby developing and the birth that you have is because we see the, we treat the aftermath of it in our clinic. So Mm -hmm. we have tons of babies, all experiencing birth trauma, all having had significantly stressed births, ending up with sensory processing disorders, which looks like a hyperactive kid or really um, Sensitive sensitive kid that's just like going nuts about just normal things in their environment, like what they're wearing, what they're eating. Um, And they're just, they're considered like, um, they're not understood by society today because they're called like orchids. I don't know if you've heard this term before, they're called the orchids of the of humanity where 5% of the population, which actually the number is radically growing, but they say about 5% of the population identifies with being hypersensitive. So that means higher levels of anxiety, higher um, issues with social yes. interactions and, and, and picky eating. And so this 5% is a marginalized 
group that we're trying to just say, oh, you just have a high, strong nervous system. But what we're seeing is it has nothing to do with that and everything to do with how you came into the world and then what you experienced as a newborn, because that's the whole time period that the nervous system is developing. So you'll you kind of see it in different circles. So psychologists and things will call you like an orchid or you're just a sensitive person, but you're really not. You're just um, not properly developed, actually, is the... I want to jump in here because I hear what you're saying and it's making me think of all the other things that have been growing dramatically in the past 30 to 40 years that we're just chalking off to genetics. Yeah. It's like, listen, genetics aren't epidemics. Things don't happen like this because of genetics. If there's suddenly a surge of some um, quality happening in the human race, can we please spend a little time trying to figure out if something is actually causing this and not just this uh, it's like a scapegoat. Well, you're born with it. Yes. Nothing yes. to be done. And, so and what, it's like PC to like, well, there's the, the excessive normalization of all of it and rather than trying to get to the root cause of it. Yeah. Um, there's, they say things like you're neurodivergent or you're just your spectrum, but you're, you're just, you, you're supposed to embrace it as opposed to understand it right. and perhaps remedy it, which is a whole nother level of, it actually comes down to your reflexes that these babies are doing when they're just free moving on the floor. So if your reflexes, which is just a whole nother level that your pediatrician doesn't get in depth training on, if your reflexes get held onto by your nervous system, like your moro, which we're coming back around to this with baby sleep, but the moro reflex, the startle, is what causes anxiety, even in adults, if it wasn't properly faded away in infancy. And so it's an internalized reaction in your nervous system. So even as a listener, if you hear this and you think, oh, I've always been sensitive to X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. that actually can be addressed through infant movement patterns as adults, which is just another mind blowing aspect. (laughs) You're going to have to explain that a little bit more before we go on sleeping conversation. Do we have to go back and tell our mothers they need to hold us more again or something? Lie on the floor a little bit. What is it? How do adults work on their infant reflexes? You have to actually go do the movement patterns, like the fencer, ATNR, like when the arm bends and the little baby looks to the side and the arm goes out is one that parents recognize a lot. The start. Yes, there's an entire therapy re- rehab-ish yeah. like, uh, programs dedicated to is, putting uh, older children and adults back, back through. through primitive infant patterns because it rebuilds the brain in the proper yeah. sequence. Is and this it, why so many adults are using weighted blankets? Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's yes. the exact connection. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Which goes back to the credentials question is that we treat this early on. And so we already have tons of patient files, C-section, 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 C-section of this abnormal start to sensation when the baby's just pulled out right, with no awareness of what's coming next, which sends them into fight or flight. And then if the mother is not in tune with the baby and doesn't understand these basic principles of bonding and nurturing and and skin to skin and oxytocin and all of that, then you get this lack of attunement between the baby and the mother. Mm -hmm. And then she's relying on pacifiers and infant swings and swaddles trying to get this baby to settle. But the baby's just in fight or flight because it was born abnormally or experienced trauma at birth. And she doesn't know how to address that with just gentle nurturing parenting because mainstream parenting is telling her 
put your baby, but just buy this, just put your baby there or, you know, ignore your baby a little bit and then your baby will learn not to cry. You know, it's just, which Jenny's explaining my exact first time experience. I mean, I was a plan C-section and I had everything and did everything mainstream. My daughter does have high sensitivity. I was swaddled her for a long time. Um, And so the unique lens of just us spreading an awareness of this is that you can get ahead of it and you can always go back and help your child. You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, you know, I've ruined everything. I didn't know. Mothers just don't know, you know, and that's why we are so passionate about birth and just the nurturing aspect in those first three months, because it will drive everything for the rest of the year as far as how milestones your whole adult life are achieved has nothing to do with your cognitive memory and everything to do with the hierarchy of the brain. Like this is just the most this is when all those memories are set on a somatic level, like how the body feels about Mm -hmm. the new environment. And then the brain just develops on top of that foundation with gaps in it. And then it's like you become an adult that's highly sensitive, an orchid that needs therapy, that needs a weighted blanket, that can't interact or has trouble with eye contact. It's just the, or, and really even learning, all learning disabilities as they call them, go back to infant movement patterns that haven't faded away properly. So even in our older children, like dyslexics and children who have handwriting and coordination issues, all of it, the struggle comes down to how much did you move as a baby? What kind of birth did you have? Yeah. And and so this conversation is very important and it's very deep. Anyone listening to know that's exactly what we discussed in episode 152. And your work is around, here you are on the side of, fixing things, resolving things. And a lot of your work is on resolving these, but also preventing. So you work a lot with expectant parents. And then we're going to get into today, a conversation on co-sleeping. So really, so really what it's all about is ensuring that the primitive reflexes are sort of released at the appropriate time in development. And is, am I correct in assuming that mothers and babies sleeping together or co-sleeping or bed sharing or whatever we want to call it, define it is one method in which you could help move through this. The connection to baby sleep with natural development is that what you will start off track doing as a mainstream mother who hasn't had the information and the education about babies is trying to get your baby to sleep separate from you, which is biologically abnormal. And we never see that in the mammal kingdom. Every mammal mother sleeps with her baby without question. Even it's never, it's just not an option. Like even, even in captivity, mammals and babies born are put together and they're not pulled apart. And then what we know happens is that when you separate from your baby on the most basic biological level, their brain begins to excrete cortisol, the stress hormone. And they will only react normally trying to find you because it's nature at this point to find mother for survival. And so if you're a new mom and you're like, okay, I've got all these different swaddles. My best friends say are the best. Got my crib set up. I'm just going to put my new baby to sleep in this crib that the minute you lay him down, the reflexes fire, the the hormones are excreting. And it's like, where's mom? So yeah, so the latest and greatest baby product on the market is one that actually tries to recreate the mom and baby being together, right? So the snoo is like the the 
the you know Rolls Royce of the yeah, um, baby sleeping centers and tries to mimic like the the Mother. sounds, the yeah. movements, the the connection with mom instead of just putting the baby with the mother, which is the most natural thing for any mother to want to do. But she's so afraid to do this. She feels guilty. She feels terrified. She feels like she's doing something wrong every time she falls asleep, even for five minutes with her baby on her. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree that I just think, you know, modern mothers are just doing so much based in fear. And it's so hard to come out of that pattern because you're just told, oh my gosh, if you fall asleep with your baby, if you're on the couch with your baby and you fall asleep, you can't let them fall asleep in a lounger. I mean, just from the very moment they're born, all you have is just this fear around your baby and their sleep when really it's the most biological thing they already know how to do. It's actually the mother's that need to understand how to respond to baby sleep in an appropriate way where they feel confident. And where that happens is that they see all their friends on social media buying a snoo, trying to keep their child asleep because the startle alone just keeps a a little newborn up constantly. And when you really don't understand the startle, you think, okay, what's wrong with the swaddle? It helps them sleep for hours at a time. And, um, it's just so unnatural to actually be put one in something that binds you for hours. I mean, nobody even sleeps like that for one. So just on a very common sense level, if you just look at the swaddle, look at your baby, if your baby fights at one time, that is enough for a new mother to validate her feelings of like, I don't have to go back and put my baby through this. I don't have to struggle to put my baby in a swaddle or go buy a different one because this one doesn't work. Um, It's more about understanding that your baby is supposed to wake up and nobody is supposed to go back to basically your old life of, hey, everybody gets to sleep as long as they did. I'm now a new mom. Babies don't understand um, your schedule. You know what I mean? They're just startling, coming up, hearing the door shut, hearing the blow dryer go off. And so parents begin to think that sleep is a problem and it's never, it's never a problem. It's just that we don't understand where our babies are at. We're wanting them to meet us in our environment, but we got to go to them. They, they're the ones with the new brain. They're the ones experiencing all these sensations for the very first time. And we have to figure out a way to support new moms, to support their babies, instead of just going, Hey, buy the latest and greatest thing to either keep them bound down, shushed and quiet. Um, because actually that just adds stress. Like Jenny says, because the minute you feel like you're not supposed to respond to your baby, in the most natural way. You just get stressed out. Your baby starts crying. They don't like the pacifier. They don't like the swaddle. The snoo doesn't work. So Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms to be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. 
So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code DOWNTOBIRTH at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. Or, Or scary if it does. Scary if it does. Scary if it does. Because what we're trying to say is the most natural thing for a baby is to sleep with the mother. That's how it's done in nature. Right. So in our minds as uh, professionals, we start thinking, well, what happens when we do something abnormal with a baby? If we know that nature does it this way, are we really superior to nature in, in coming up with our own version of what's more convenient for us? So really it comes down to you're actually fighting nature's design to separate your baby into a crib. And then you're understanding that it's just natural for your baby to startle awake to find you. So you're really making the choice to be exhausted as a mom because you're, you're getting up every single time, multiple times a night trying to, to do this mainstream idea of separating from your baby instead of the diving deeper about what's natural, biological, normal that we've discovered along the way as humans developed across the span of history for, you know, millennial of years, you need to know that your baby is just reacting in a normal nervous system and it's your choice to fight it. That's causing you to be exhausted. There's nothing wrong with your baby. There's no product that's going to solve the problem. You really have to decide, right. Am I going to seriously take a left turn off track away from how nature does it? So what I'm hearing you say is parents today are told 
and by their elders, they're told, don't sleep with your baby because that's dangerous. So we're going to get into how it's not dangerous. And then because they're not sleeping with a baby, which is intervention number one, they now have to rely on intervention number two. And the intervention number two du jour is the snoo. And now if it works, we should be concerned. If it doesn't work, we think, oh no, it's not working. There's a problem there. But really the baby is having a normal response and communicating with the parent. Hey, this isn't working for me. So that's actually a good signal that we want to look for in a baby, I would guess. And really what we're talking about is an intervention. We talk about them during birth all the time. The big question with with interventions, getting outside of when they're needed, when they're not, are they good? Are they bad? The big question is, what is the impact of this intervention? Because there always is one. Right. Always. So that's what I'm hearing you say. Can we start talking about rewinding, looking at our anthropologic roots? Mm -hmm. Of course, all mammals have co-slept, but we've been taught not to. Humans in their early days didn't have beds. So that's complicated things. They didn't have sheets. That's complicated things. So we do have already some interventions from that perspective. Does this bring us to what makes co-sleeping safe as opposed to when it isn't safe? Well, I think if you really want to look at what the science says, which is something that most people don't understand, that there actually is great studies regarding bed sharing and co-sleeping. They just think, you know, because the mainstream messages don't do it, that there's zero support for this other side of the argument, the natural way about it. And Dr. Sears has some fantastic work that really breaks down the seven babies that his wife slept with and how the exchange of uh, carbon dioxide through the breath actually stimulates the baby to take a breath. So you want to be within close proximity to the baby because the sheer breath between the mother and the baby continues to facilitate additional breaths. So that's already proven. So it reduces SIDS. Are we talking about this? One of the theories, one of the theories around SIDS is that babies can have like a sleep apnea that they don't come out of. But what you're saying and what I have also read is that moms and babies sleeping in close proximity, especially when they're breastfeeding, because they tend to wake and arouse more easily when they're breastfeeding, are more protected. They're more protected because of exactly what you just said. And then, you know, there's also all the skin to skin research, which has Mm -hmm. been proven for decades that just being in skin to skin contact is going to regulate their temperature and their heartbeat. And the hormones. That sounds pretty significant to me. You know, it's like, okay, if my breath keeps them breathing and my heart keeps their heart going and my skin keeps them comfortable, you know, that all is the hierarchy of the nervous system. So, but here's what I'll say the statistics of babies. Um, lost to SIDS is so few compared to the vast majority of babies that to apply such a minority to the majority is causing more problems for people and not truly understanding why is this happening in the first place. We're just taking such a a marginalized um, part of the modern experience and saying, well, because this is happening to very few, we have to do it this way with everybody, which we know never really works because that's not the case of the majority. And then the important thing to know about SIDS is that SIDS is unexplained according to the medical diagnosis, whereas when you're talking about bed sheets and beds um, as interventions, if your baby dies because they were wrapped up in a sheet, that would be suffocation. 
That would not be a SIDS death. Right. So the, the, you have to understand that separation, what they're saying SIDS is, is totally 100% unexplained, unidentifiable. They don't know what caused the death. It wasn't a suffocation or a crush death. That would be, you know, labeled something different. And those numbers often get put in the statistics, making yeah. SIDS look like it's much, right. much higher. If you Google it, it actually will say that about one in 1,000 babies die every year of SIDS. But the true rate of the completely unknown I, true yeah. SIDS is many, right. many, many, many times less than that. Um, is it 38 per 100,000, did you yes. say? That's 0. 0.038%. 0. 0.03. Okay. 0.03%. If we don't say right. percent, that takes off that takes off two zeros from the stats. It's 38 per 100,000. It's 0.038%. Um, that's a very low number, of course, but let's get into um, the practicality of co-sleeping. Let's talk about how to safely co-sleep. And I think you've alluded to why. There's endless research to support it. The carbon dioxide thing was fascinating. But how does one safely co-sleep? Picture that new mom who's exhausted and her family saying, I hope you're not going to be sleeping with that baby. So what does she need to know about doing this safely? Well, if you if you're a really by the books kind of gal, the breastfeeding um medicine, the breast Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Yes, thank you. They published the uh, breast sleeping recommendations, which is what it's really what you're doing is breast sleeping. The baby is there at your breast throughout the night. And that alone is the protective mechanism. And I found this to myself, even though, you know, a single experience can't also be applied to the majority. I think about this from a very, um, like, uh, the evolution, like epigenetics, like how our environment affects the genetics of these babies. Because when I'm sleeping with him as my third, his feet are on my legs in the cuddle curl and he's pushing and kicking off my legs, you know, to change position, to get comfortable. My arm is around him. We're in skin to skin contact. He, you know, can easily nurse if he needs to. I'm not up. He can nurse even without me waking up, <laughs> you know, we're that close. And it is like a dream come true. And this is something that Carrie and I wish we uh, could share with more new moms is that it's really like having your childhood baby doll (laughs) be alive and be there right there next to you. Just like you always wanted as a little three, four, five-year-old girl. (laughs) This is what our gift is as mothers is like, you finally get to have a real live baby. And then suddenly you're too scared to cuddle it to sleep. And then you're exhausted and then you're resentful and you're mad at your partner because you know, dads don't have the same brains as moms. And like, why isn't he responding to the baby? You know, it's like, we just, we fight so much of nature's design in this, that when you actually just go to lay down with your baby, it's so simple. And yes, you can be safe. You can watch the cracks. You can, um, you know, minimize the pillows, but really it's your intuition that Carrie and I always talk about. Like, if you just understand that, your nervous system is built on instincts. And if you listen to it and only hear what you feel on a body level, like, does this feel safe? Is this feel normal? Is this natural? Is this stressing me out? Those are our instincts talking to us through our bodily reactions and our emotions in the moment. And you can trust that, you know, it's like, that's what we want to share with new moms is like, you actually don't need a ton of mainstream advice much of it written by male pediatricians in the 40s. And it hasn't really been updated, you know, to 
reflect what we now know about this exchange of breaths, heart rate, skin to skin, dopamine, oxytocin. And so you really exchange that for just exhaustion, I think, as a new mom, dragging yourself to separate. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms, do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. So Jenny, you said that you started off with your first doing all the, all the kind of things that you were told to do, the standard advice, putting the baby in a separate room, cribs, whatever, all these things. And now you have three children and a husband and one bed. So (laughs) um, can you, can you tell us a little bit about like when parents ask you like, well, how do I even get started on this? What do I do? Can you just run through a few of like the tips about what you really definitely don't want to do and what you should do when you're starting to co-sleep? Okay. So if you're going to start to co-sleep like today, if you have a baby and you're very nervous about it, I would suggest um, just making a floor pallet and laying down on the floor with your baby with a pillow and a blanket for a nap, you know, so that you don't have to stress at all about the rolling off or you think you're going to roll over your baby in bed. You can do the floor bed. I would also say that like there's so many online resources too, and we can give you like the ones that we've used as well, but there's a really awesome thing called um, bed sheet bumpers where you actually put the bumper underneath a fitted sheet and it makes a bumper across your entire bed. So your baby cannot actually even roll physically to the edge and fall off. And it's awesome. You can get them on Amazon. And that is a great way to just, if you want to stay in your bed, cause that's where you're most comfortable. That is a wonderful way with how to, with not having to deal with pillows and extra blankets bunched up. It's a really neat thing. One of the, one of the common fears that, um, 
I always get from parents is that they're they're terrified that they're going to roll over on their baby in the night. And I always remind parents that or ask them really, when is the last time you rolled off the edge of your bed? And they're like, "Mm, yeah, no, I don't do that. And that's because we're not like completely unaware when we're sleeping. We actually have really strong awareness and senses, even when we're sleeping and rolling over on your baby outside of being under the influence of drugs or alcohol, or, you know, not having any awareness of where your body is (laughs) like, that's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And I think just more new moms need to know that it's not going to happen. Like you just said, and you have to just come back out of the fear of like, is this okay? What are people going to think? Um, and you always say nobody is in your bed bedroom at night. I mean, like, I don't even know why people actually need to know the information because nobody asks me how me and my husband sleep and where we sleep in our house. And, you know, I just think that people are very curious about babies because maybe that's all they knew as a mom, even way back then, how's the baby sleeping through the night? How's the baby sleeping? You know, and sometimes you don't even have to feel prompted to go into all the reasons why you co-sleep. You could just be like, it's great. You know what I mean? Like just being more confident in knowing that you can do it and you don't have to always explain it to people. This is similar to what we face with women who are choosing home birth and they think, well, what if, what yeah. if something goes wrong? And then I have to go back and say, I chose to give birth at home and everybody's looking at me saying, well, that was a stupid thing to do. So what if I go sleep with my baby and what if something happens? And then I have to explain to everybody that I made this choice and you're right. It's nobody's business. You, you know, you have to do what you feel comfortable with in your birth space and in your sleep space and giving birth at home or giving birth in the hospital is fighting nature and sleeping with your baby in a separate room is fighting nature. nature. (laughs) And then one other thing to know too, if you're really afraid about rolling on your baby is that the amygdala in the brain as a new mom turns into a hypersensitive mode immediately postpartum. So like you lose your placenta and your amygdala starts firing to keep your baby safe, which turns on like your superhero hearing and just how, you know, you're like, you can hear your baby squirm a wall away, you know, and the dad literally hear a feather hit the floor as the new mom. So you actually have a brain change that ensures the survival of your baby. So when you're sleeping, it sounds like, well, I'm going to just be awake all night. And and sometimes you do have to adjust to the sensitivity of your brain at that new level after you are postpartum, because you are more aware, you're more aware of your sensory systems entirely, because that is nature's design to keep you in tune with your baby and hearing them. So when they're close, when your baby is close to you, skin to skin, they move less, they they squirm less, they cry out less. So you're not having to be awake in a hypersensitive mode. So if your baby's separated, you'll remain in a hypersensitive mode because your body doesn't know where your baby is. And so it's trying to listen for it all the time. You also become very attuned to what is normal little baby sounds when you're sleeping close to your baby, like the little fidgets and sounds that they make. That And they don't actually wake you. Whereas if they're in a separate room, you're more likely to wake up at something that's a completely normal sound and they're not actually needing you, but it still awakens you. And when you sleep yeah. close to them, you just kind of get in the mode of like, you learn to identify the real sound versus just the normal, let me go back to sleep sound. Yes, absolutely. And I do think, you know, one thing that I, I think a common thing that comes up too with new moms is like, okay, well, if I start this, they will never leave my bed, yes. <laughs> you know, oh my goodness, that would, and, you know, 
we have found now that we've been sleeping with our children for a long time, um, that the they more, don't even want us. <laughs> the more you actually push them away at the infant stage, the more clingier they get yeah. to come back to you older. And it's just this thing of that because they need that close contact in that newborn stage so much. And in that first year that actually the amount of pushing away <laughs> lends them coming back into mom and dad's room at night. And then parents usually give up around two or three and they're like, okay, get in the bed. You know, True. So there's very good. Re- there's very good research out there to support that. That's the infant attachment and infant bonding and how the more you hold and cuddle and sleep yes. with your baby and love your baby and respond to your baby the more independent they are as toddlers and young children. But that's such an important point you guys made because I know I was given the advice to never, like not by anybody close to me, but I was given the advice that letting children sleep in your bed would ruin your marriage. Like that was it. Like the biggest mistake you could make in your marriage is to let your child into your bed. Yes. I don't know. I feel like I've certainly heard that. And I don't feel like I've experienced that in the same way. And I think childhood and infancy is such a short time period that your marriage really, when you decide to have kids, and obviously some people don't decide, but you know, the whole point is that there is a change in your marriage and the season is just what it is. And because you're parents now, you are doing what makes it easiest for everybody. And you don't only do that certain marital thing in bed. I mean, <laughs> and I'd be sorry for you. And kids are super heavy sleepers. Right. <laughs> yeah, just go back. I mean, my two kids slept through my free birth, so they didn't wake up until the baby was there laying next to me. They sleep through everything. Yeah, yeah they, they do. really do. Yeah. But we're so, not, we are, wait, we're, I just have to say, we're not condoning having sex with your partner in bed while your children yeah, are in bed. <laughs> we, we have to spell a few things out sometimes. <laughs> Be creative. Um, yeah. And just that I don't think co-sleeping would ruin a marriage. You know, I really think it's just what's important. What are the values that's important? Is it important for the mother to get the most energy, have, have the rest she needs if she feels the most comfortable co-sleeping? Um, usually a lot of dads can just eventually go along. Do- I mean, let's be honest. Even when babies aren't sleeping in the room, I run a postpartum group every Tuesday. Virtually no woman is having sex. And they're freaking out that they're not having sex. And it is not because of the baby. It's because they're exhausted. It's because they've got all sorts of other stuff going on, pelvic floor stuff, emotions, whatever it is. And they're like, am I the only one not having sex in in all these months? And everyone is like, oh, thank God we're talking about it. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's how it should be. I'm not saying that that's something we should totally normalize and, and, and chalk off to nothing. But it's so silly to say your marriage can't sustain these periods. This is what this period is like. She's not necessary. She's almost definitely not into having sex, no matter where the baby is. She's her, she's physically totally drained. And when her life gets easier and when the children get older, there's going to be no stopping her from having energy and having her sex drive back. And people are so afraid. This is the rest of my life now. No, it's not. There is really, you know, this whole, we hear these things about how much sex women have in their thirties. And then women have babies and they're like, who are these women having sex? And I'm convinced women are having more sex and getting more exercise in their forties than their thirties when they're having their babies. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, it's, it's everything else is just urgent. Taking care of the baby is constantly an urgent thing you're dealing with. Sex feels like a luxury during that period of your life really does. I also will add my husband 
he, I mean, he's always been pretty like whatever you want to do type of guy. And I know there are more fussy men out there. In our marriage, he has loved co-sleeping and it, it came to him because of my choice. Like this is just easier. I get more rest. Right. But now he cuddles and loves our, I mean, five-year-old and three-year-old. And it's not that they won't get out of our bed. It's that we actually in a space confinement, which is what is important to know about co-sleeping is that it's worldwide, like that's just normal practice. Like it's just really our Western culture. So when, when I co-slept when they were very little and breastfeeding and it got to the point for me when they were so active, it just absolutely wasn't working anymore. So it felt natural to put them next to me right near the bed. But for those parents who co-sleep when the babies are babies, when they're toddlers, when they're young children, three, four, five, when does it ever end? How does it ever end for those proponents who really are into this family bed that goes on for years and years? I'm sure we have listeners who are like, wait a second, how does it ever change over? So what, what is the process from there? Um, I think it's so individualized and it's really going to depend on each child because it's going to depend on the emotional independence that they feel. Most children, if they've been truly supported and nurtured in that first year, they're probably going to be able to detach and be more independent. Like Trisha was saying earlier, the more emotional dependence they've had, you will probably see more dependence early on. And honestly, it would just depend like my highly sensitive six-year-old still enjoys sleeping with us, but sometimes she sleeps alone. It's a lot of been her choice and just kind of navigating it. And I think as parents, we can just take a load off and not feel like, okay, by the time you turn three, you got to do this. It really depends on your child and what their emotional needs are. So if say for you're a working mom and you're away all day. And so maybe your child's gone from you. That is a wonderful time to come back and emotionally connect is to just be able to sleep next to each other. It's so easy. And so easy to bond that way, to get a lot of you know, touching and cuddles, even into toddlerhood. And so many moms are like, well, I have to go back to work early on postpartum. And so sleeping together is a great way to encourage the bonding process that maybe you miss out, you know, because you have to go to work. So again, just, it's so individualized. You'll know as your, as your child ages, that's why I say just one age, you know? So my takeaway from this conversation is that it is important to co-sleep in the early period. And then my takeaway from the rest of the conversation is what you are saying to all parents and to all moms out there is you have our permission, right? Uh, As experts who know this research, you have our permission to continue co-sleeping as long as it works for every member of your family. Absolutely. Yes, Yes. absolutely. And that's the best message of all, because that leaves again, mothers in charge of you know, listening to their own intuition, their own family's needs. It's not trying to follow some co-sleeping schedule. It puts it all back into your family and what are your values and priorities. I mean, it all, you know, it always, always just come, you know, (laughs) always just comes back to biology, right? Like we just look at what nature tells us. If we look to nature, we usually can find the right answer. And if something is feeling off, if you're feeling torn, if you're feeling uncomfortable with what you're doing, go with what feels comfortable. And for most moms, that is keeping your baby with you. Yes. You know, if the if the fear is so great about keeping your baby with you, then maybe you have a little bit of work to do, or maybe you really do choose to just let your baby sleep elsewhere. And that is, of course, your choice. But most of the moms are in the boat of, I want to do this and I'm feeling guilty and I'm feeling guilted and I'm feeling wrong about it every day. And we just need 
those moms to understand that they can trust themselves, that they can trust nature, that they can trust their biology, and that they should trust those instincts. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. It would be presumptuous for you to have rules for anyone to follow. And this is what parents are dealing with all the time. Every 10 years, there are new rules around everything anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they, I just read yesterday, they're now saying babies should sit up by the age of nine months and forever they said six months. And it's like, what? <laughs> that's, that's a huge change. <laughs> that's a huge change. And where did these rules come from anyway? Like what's, it's just, it's ridiculous yeah. when you think of the woman whose baby didn't sit up by seven months old, 10 years ago. And now she's like, really? Because you had me terrified. And anyway, I know that's a whole other conversation. I'll